In Matthew's gospel, Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and religious authorities was especially tense. You see, Matthew was writing for a predominantly Jewish audience uh, of Christ's followers, but still Jewish, and he had to work extra hard to convince them that Jesus' adversaries, who were also Jewish, were not very nice people. As one scholarly article phrases it, one must read Matthew in its context as a Jewish writing that participates in intra-Jewish polemic in order to combat anti-Jewish interpretations. In short, Jesus' interactions with the religious authorities are especially adversarial in this gospel. They would frequently try to trick Jesus into saying the wrong thing and ending up on the wrong side of Deuteronomic or Roman law. These were trick questions, moral tests designed to entrap and discredit Jesus in the court of popular opinion, and later in a kangaroo court after his eventual arrest. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not, they ask him, knowing that either way Jesus will condemn himself. If he says yes, he'll lose face with his followers who hate Rome. If he says no, then he'll be arrested for treason. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause or not? They ask him again, trying to trap him. If he says yes, then he props up a patriarchal system where divorce leaves women with nothing, no property, no social status, nothing. If he says no, then he runs afoul of the laws of Moses. By the time we arrive at this point, fairly late in the gospel, Jesus has just about had it with these ridiculous tests of faith. A reading from Matthew chapter 21. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. <sighs> So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always. With the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So I've got this friend. His name is Bill. And he isn't on great terms with his next-door neighbor, Jim. I mean, they aren't actively hostile to each other or anything. It's just that their interactions have been a little tense. 
adversarial even. Their politics openly displayed in their respective yard signs are wildly divergent. Bill is a quiet, mild-mannered sort of guy, while Jim is more inclined to displays of machismo, uh, mowing his lawn without a shirt or working on his motorcycle in the garage. Once, when Bill was shoveling snow in his driveway, some of it ended up in Jim's. Hey, Jim warned him, getting in Bill's face a little. Keep it on your property, huh? Bill, not as aggressive but quite brilliant, put his hands up as though Jim was about to strike him, which immediately diffused the situation. Jim even apologized to Bill for being so angry. I'm sorry, man, just, you know, well, you know. He mumbled awkwardly before returning to his own house. Around Christmas time last year, Bill had been receiving a lot of packages from Amazon, gifts that he'd purchased for family and such, and he kind of let them stack up a bit on his porch for a few days, as he'd been especially busy at work. When Bill finally got around to bringing them inside and opening up all of these boxes, he was surprised to find that one of the smaller packages contained a bottle of hemorrhoid cream that he had never ordered. He called out to the next room to ask his wife if it was hers, and she insisted that it was not, a little annoyed that he'd even ask. So Bill dug the box out of the discarded pile of cardboard and styrofoam and realized that Jim's address was on the label. The delivery driver had left it at the wrong house. Well now, Bill was facing a moral dilemma. Given that he wasn't on great terms with Jim to begin with, he didn't relish the idea of walking over there admitting that he had opened Jim's mail and humiliating the man by handing over this rather embarrassing bottle of topical ointment. Hey, I think this belongs to you. No, that would not do at all. Bill didn't want to make things any more awkward between them. And given that this thing only cost a few dollars, Bill decided it was best to just throw it in a closet, pretend that he'd never seen it, and let Jim assume that it had been lost in the mail. Well, a few days go by, and nothing happens. But then, as Bill is getting home from work one evening, he finds a note from Jim taped to his door. And it read simply, have you received any packages lately? Now, Bill, naturally averse to confrontation, panicked. Now he was really in a pickle. Should he double down on his original plan and play dumb, lie to Jim's face? He could, but it was clear by now that Jim probably needed this stuff pretty badly. <laughs> Should he just come clean and try to explain the situation? Bill played out all the various scenarios in his head, and none of them ended well. Meanwhile, poor Jim's over there suffering. So in the end, rather than risk an ugly confrontation, Bill decides that the best thing to do is to package the ointment in a nice gift bag with a note of apology and leave it on Jim's porch. Unfortunately, the only gift bag that he could find in his house was something that someone had given him years ago, a bright pink thing with three words spelled out in glitter that said, you're pretty cool. 
So that's what Bill left on Jim's doorstep. <laughs> to my knowledge, they haven't spoken since. Sometimes we find ourselves in a, in a moral dilemma where it feels like every choice is the wrong one. Should I give my money to that homeless mother on the street, or is she just putting on an act? If I buy stuff from Amazon, am I supporting the small business on the platform or giving more money to a company that exploits them? Should I stay with my husband for the sake of our kids, even though I don't love him anymore? If my best friend is cheating on his wife, should I tell her? Should I vote for a politician if I like his economic policy but disagree with his stance on abortion? When in doubt, unsure of how to do what's right, or at least less wrong, one needs a strong moral compass to guide their actions, an ethical code, if you will, that helps us to discern right from wrong. For Christians, the gospel provides that. If someone is hungry, then you should feed them. If someone insults you, you should forgive them. If someone disagrees with you on Facebook, then you should never speak to them again. <laughs> Wait a minute now. I don't think Jesus ever said that. But it seeped into the 21st century American ethic insofar as there is such a thing. And really, there is no such thing. Not even close uh, to an agreed-upon set of fundamental values in our culture where people know what's right and wrong, and that can make it hard to tell what's right and wrong. Whatever echo chamber you find yourself in, that's likely to determine your ethos. I'm told, and I'm really too young to know if this is true, honestly, I'm told there was a time when folks could disagree politically and still share the same moral values, that there was broader consensus on what was right and wrong, and the disagreements were more tactical than ethical. These days, though, we've gotten our ethics and politics all twisted up like a, like a pair of headphones trying to untangle the wires. Every political issue has become a moral test, and every ethical issue has become a political talking point. Ergo, if I disagree with your politics, then that makes you an immoral person an unethical person, a bad person. I was at a restaurant the other day, and I overheard folks at a nearby table discussing politics. I couldn't even hear what they were saying, actually, just bits of sentences. I heard things like passing ridiculous laws, and it's crazy what's going on over there, and Congress is out of session. Nothing of substance, nothing to know where they stood, just enough to know that it was political. And I tell you, I'm sitting there and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up like I'm just waiting for them to say something awful that I disagree with so I can quietly condemn them as I eat my dinner. We're all subject to these tests now, these binary choices that leave little room for nuance, for or against, left or right. Trump or Biden, pro-life or pro-choice, capitalist or socialist, Israel or Palestine. Identify with the wrong side and the wrong company, and you're a pariah. When I was in middle school, some kids approached me on the school playground during recess. 
New Kids on the Block or Backstreet Boys? One of them asked me, referring to the two most popular boy bands of the early 1990s. I'm sorry, what? I replied, a bit taken aback. You got rocks in your ears, he pressed me. I asked you what side you're on. New Kids on the Block or Backstreet Boys? Well, in truth, I thought they were both terrible, but I was smart enough to know that answer probably wouldn't satisfy him. I briefly wondered what kind of a world this was, where a guy could be accosted at recess by the self-appointed pop music inquisition, a gang of ruffians who prided themselves on allegiance to saccharine love songs like Step by Step and I Want It That Way. I don't know, I said, wanting very badly for this conversation to be over. New kids, I guess. Wrong answer. The other kid sneered as he reached down and grabbed a handful of dirt and shoved it in my mouth. Maybe this is why I tend to be suspicious of binary choices and absolutes, why they leave a bad taste in my mouth. Jesus, I think, seems to feel the same way in Matthew's gospel. He's repeatedly accosted with these kind of binary for or against questions that have surely become rather tiresome. So when the Sadducees ask him on whose authority he is preaching and teaching, rather than answer the question, Jesus poses a trick question of his own. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? Now, as the text tells us, this puts them in a bind. However they respond, they're going to get themselves into trouble. And unlike Jesus, they can't manage to sidestep the question. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's, Jesus told them when asked about paying taxes. What God has joined together, let no one separate, he told them about divorce, advocating for women that would be left with nothing in those days. But the Sadducees, they're not half as clever. After some huddled deliberation, they reply pathetically, we don't know. Jesus doesn't throw dirt in their face, but he does land a pretty good rhetorical punch. Then neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things, he says. It's a pretty incredible moment, really. Not only does Jesus get the self-appointed morality police to embarrass themselves, but he puts a stop to all of these absurd questions, these arbitrary tests of faith. In our denomination, the United Church of Christ, we make an explicit distinction between tests of faith and testimonies of faith. In theory, at least, you don't have to pass some kind of theological litmus test or adhere to any particular dogma in order to be here. Creedal statements of old, like the Apostles' Creed or the Heidelberg Catechism, are testimonies of one community's faith. They are not tests of our faith, something that we either pass or fail. When someone gets up here and offers a testimony, that's their story. It isn't necessarily everyone's story. Now, I'm not advocating for some kind of moral relativism or an anything-goes ethic. I do believe in right and wrong, according to my moral code derived from the teachings of Jesus, I believe that love in all of its forms is a reflection of God's love for us. 
I believe that exploitation is evil. I believe in sharing what we have. I believe that our society is too transactional. I believe that we are all bearers of divine spirit, children of God, regardless of the color of our skin or our gender or who we love or even who we vote for. Yes, as a Christian, I also have to acknowledge the humanity of the person who operates with a different set of values, even if I personally think those values are terrible. I don't have to like that person, but I have to try to love them. It's ironic, really, in trying to uphold Christian virtue, we often demonize the people we disagree with. And I think that's why Jesus puts so much emphasis on forgiveness and on not judging others and on loving our neighbor, even if we don't like them very much, because it's probably the hardest part of being a Christian. But that's what we are, or at least what we strive to be. It's unlikely that Bill and Jim are ever going to be the best of friends. They aren't likely to sit on the porch together on a summer evening drinking a cold beer. They aren't going to confide in each other or invite each other over for dinner. They aren't going to debate the relative merits, the new kids on the block or the backstreet boys. And they certainly aren't going to have a conversation about the next election. And maybe that's okay. Maybe it's enough to give a friendly nod or a wave as they pass each other in the driveway. Maybe it's enough to forgive whatever petty offenses might have been committed in the past. Maybe it's enough to look past the political yard signs and see the person that put them there, a human being of flesh and blood and soul who probably grew up pretty differently and lived a different life and developed a different set of virtues along the way. Maybe it's a stretch to believe that the guy next door is pretty cool. But Jesus is. So I'll try to do my best to follow his lead. Amen.